Ruth, I do want to thank you for your opening words of welcome to us all, and particularly saying that our preacher this morning is one of our tired ministers. Um, that is so true. Um, that is what you said? Oh, I'm sorry. What, what was it? Oh, retired. Wendy, spell it, and I spell it with a Y. You can work that out afterwards if you like. I trust that you enjoyed that first hymn, Glory to God. Does it give your heart worship to the Lord? The last time I heard that, I was singing it solo in the Royal Albert Hall to a, 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 um, an orchestra of about 110 Christians, and it was, it was wonderful. The only thing is nobody really heard me because there were 5,500 people singing at the same time. <laughs> but I thought then, that is a great hymn to start a service with glory to the Lord. I hope we can have it again someday. Secondly, I'm very glad that Neil um, is away with Mike, and I ask you all to look me in the face and promise you won't tell them what I'm going to say next. Is that okay when they come back? Because we're in a sermon series of encounters as recorded by Mark's Gospel of people Jesus met. And this one, Neil had entitled, Encountering Belief. And this is what you're not to tell anyone. Is that okay? Sure enough, I'll punish you if you do. I'm going to revise the heading of Battling Unbelief. Because I humbly believe that that is what this scripture from Mark's Gospel is actually teaching us. With that in mind, shall we bow in prayer? Father, it's not what I think that matters. It's what your holy word teaches us. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit may take the words that I've prepared and meet them to each and every heart as you know our individual needs. Father, will you do this, please? Amen. The key verse in this passage, I think, is verse 19. It would be a great help and encouragement to me if you could open your Bibles up at 1013. 1013. What the Scriptures say is infinitely more important than what I say. Verse 19 little over halfway down the right-hand page, the left-hand column, verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Can you imagine in some time next year our new vicar coming and preaching when he first meets us, how long have I got to put up with you? This is the Son of God speaking. 
I'm so grateful that the gospel writers have recorded it faithfully. Jesus was truly man as well as being truly God. And from his lips, how long must I put up with you? I thank God he said that. Because if you're anything like me at all, you will have found that God has infinite patience with you. How often we let God down in thought, word, or deed. Can God go on forgiving me? The scripture doesn't make it clear whether Jesus is speaking to his disciples or to the crowd that rushed to the scene. Perhaps it was to all, perhaps it's to you and me this morning. Do you find faith in God, our Heavenly Father, easy? I was going to ask if you could put your hand up if you do, but I don't think I'll do that. Don't bother with, I would say respectfully for a moment, with a person either side of you, around you, or in front of you, or behind you. Do you find faith in God difficult? If you do, you're in good company because I guess the answer would be yes by most of us. The passage set for this morning is sandwiched between two statements Jesus made to his disciples. If you've still got your Bibles open, turn to the left-hand page and the bottom of the left-hand column, verse 31 of chapter 8. This is just after Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And they came up, they came up with all sorts of possibilities. And then he said, Who do you say I am? And Peter, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus comes out with this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter then took him aside. And that's the source of another sermon subject. The Son of Man must suffer. And then we have this incident on the right-hand page, 1013, about this boy whom the Lord healed. And verse 31, on the right-hand column of the page, verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. Now turn the page over to page 1015. And at the bottom of the left-hand column, the right-hand page, the bottom of the left-hand column, when Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem with the disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem, verse 33, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over 
to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And this story we have comes between those statements that Jesus made teaching his disciples. And the disciples were utterly unable to take in what Jesus said. Their belief stretched beyond the limits. Disbelief is rife in our world today. Sometimes through the many sects that refuse to put Jesus Christ at the center. And even up to our own government, regardless of political persuasion, laws are being passed in our nation that belittle Christianity. They leave God out of the reckoning. There was even a motion put before the House of Commons two weeks ago. Can we do without opening prayers? I'll never forget when Wendy and I were in Oregon on holiday at 9-11. And um, three days later, Billy Graham's daughter was on the television nationwide. And they asked her, and where was your God and your father's God when this happened in your... And she very quietly and gently replied, oh, he was right there, weeping with those who were suffering. But for years now, we as a nation, America, have asked God to get out of our legislature, get out of our schools, get out of our families, and she went on to say, and God is a gentleman. He's done what we asked. Before Dunkirk, our king, George VI, called the nation to prayer. And instead of 30,000 soldiers being rescued off the beaches of northern France, 338,000 came off alive. How many times did our nation get called to prayer and we prayed and what happened? God worked in many miracles. I reckon that from about 1960 onwards, as a nation, we started to turn away from God. How we need the feeding of the 5,000 on South Sea Common. Your next door neighbor needs you. Immediately before this incident, three chosen guys, as David mentioned as he introduced our reading a few moments ago, were called up by Jesus onto a mountain and there he was transfigured before them. Now, you and I, I think, can sit here Fat, dumb, and, no, you're not fat, that's just me. Um, dumb and happy, and, and accept the fact that Jesus was transfigured. Have you ever thought 
what it would have been like for Peter, James, and John. The scriptures are quite good, actually, in the way they describe it. They didn't know what to say. Lord, should we make three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Do you think Jesus said, Hello, Lige, nice to see you. How was heaven when you left? No, I don't think so. But they did know that it was Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Do you know what they were talking about? Hands up anyone who does know what they were talking about. Yes? Right, thank you. You've got better knowledge than I have. Um, the Bible says in one of the Gospels they were talking about his decease. They were talking about Jesus' death. He was going to, and the word accomplish is put in there. Wow, what an experience for Peter, James, and John. As they came down from the mountain, the Bible tells us they were arguing amongst each other. What does rising from the dead mean? And then they asked Jesus, or he asked them a question. What about Elijah? And the prophets say he's going to come first. <laughs> they were completely and utterly flawed. They didn't know how to answer. We've just seen Elijah. How is he going to come first? And then they come down to the valley. Having been up on a mountaintop, we use the expression, don't we? Mountaintop experience. In the wonder and the glory of the presence of the Son of God, looking as he does in heaven, which you and I can't even imagine. And they come down to this crowd. And there's an argument going on. I love it. It says that at the top of the page there, um, that they came large crowds and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. That's verse 14. <laughs> That's gorgeous, isn't it? Can you imagine um, a whole bunch of clergy here? Pretty awful sight, I agree. But a whole bunch of <laughs> yittering and wattering and arguing about what was going on in St. Jude's. And a man in the crowd says, Lord, I brought my son to you. Not to the disciples. I brought my son to you to heal him. And the disciples couldn't. I think that's a horrendous phrase. The disciples couldn't. Tell me, if you're out there on the field on the 7th of September, and someone comes up to you and says, are you a member of St. Jude's? And you say, yes. Uh, can you tell me how I can become a Christian? Would your eyes light up or would you say, well, I don't know, I've got someone I can introduce you to. This man wanted to come to Jesus. A large crowd, teachers of the law, the other disciples arguing. Verse 14, a man in the crowd answered, imagine, tell me, how this father felt. One of the commentators that I was looking at in preparation for this morning said that this probably wasn't epilepsy. Because there's various words and phrases used that don't refer to that sort of illness. But if you've ever had 
an epileptic person in a serious fit. I remember I had one when I was about 14 at school. And the boy in the desk, just a little aisle and then another set of desks there to me, he, he sort of started goobly gobbling out and, 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 and he was throffing at the mouth, I can remember. Then he crashed to the floor and I thought, you may be bored with what the teacher's saying, but this is really a bit extreme behavior. And then the doctor was called and he was dealt with. But I found it, as a young 14-year-old, very frightening. And this father had put up with his boy throwing himself into the fire or the water to kill him many times since his youth. A terrible atmosphere of disbelief in the crowd. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they ran to him. There's an awful atmosphere in the world today with superstition, fortune-telling, magic arts, spiritism, all of which deny the centrality and lordship of Jesus. And they're trying to drag the Christian faith down into the mire and filth with them. Before the crowd actually regathered, Jesus healed the boy. How gentle and Jesus was in dealing with terrible situations. How kind. So there was disbelief in the disciples coming down from the mountain. Even after what they'd seen, there was disbelief in the crowd. There was disbelief face to face with the father of the boy himself. And then, afterwards, there was disbelief in what I call the debriefing session that Jesus had with them. Verse 29, on the right-hand column of page 1013, about a third of the way down, he, Jesus, replied to the disciples who'd said, why couldn't we drive him out? This kind can only come out by prayer. The disciples are again alone with Jesus. The crowd has gone away. The father has taken him, his boy home. I'd have loved to have seen that father. I wonder if he took the boy's hand and if the boy said, Daddy, what, what, what's been happening just now? Oh, we've met the Son of God and he's taken away all your illness, my boy. They went home and his mother would have been overjoyed because his healing would have been perfect. And now the crowd has gone. The parents and the boy have gone home. Disciples are again alone with Jesus. And the inference of what Jesus said to them in their failure to heal this boy resulted from a lack of prayer. You look at it carefully and look at other times when there have been healings and God forbid that you or I should go one single day without prayer. You see, prayer is the equivalent of faith. If you trust, you pray. 
If you don't pray, if you give up praying, it's because you don't trust God. Don't fool yourself. Satan hates it when he sees you, metaphorically or literally, on your knees in prayer. He'll do everything he can to stop you. And sadly, an awful lot of the time he's successful. Three times on four pages in our Bibles, Jesus spends time teaching the disciples. And then they're on the road again after our passage ended. Verse 30, this kind cannot come out only by prayer, said Jesus. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want to know anyone where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. All of you parents, all of you grandparents, are you teaching your children what they learn from you and by the way you live, as well as what you say, is going to direct them in their lives. And I would guarantee that there's not one single father or mother or grandparent in church this morning has ever taught their children or grandchildren about death. But that's what Jesus did. Don't you find that remarkable? I'm not inviting you to go home and have a lovely lunchtime conversation about daddy's gonna die and no, 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 no. But it's an amazing use of the word teaching, so much so that I looked it up in the dictionary. What does teaching actually mean? And it says this, give systematic information. Enable a person to act on instruction. Induce a person by example. Wow. That's what we parents and grandparents should be doing. Teaching our children by example. And Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That is the one reason this church is going out on the 7th of September to share with people. Oh yes, I hope they'll love fish. I hope they'll love the red rolls. I hope they'll love and read the paper that it's going to be wrapped in. I hope our faces will be smiling the love of Jesus in a real and meaningful way. And if the next day when 
Michael and Rachel are having their service here for the last time, at least for the present. I hope you'll come back as a visiting preacher. How would you and I cope with about 20 or 30 people coming in we'd never ever seen before? That's what would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Then Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus coming face to face with those who believed. And in this instance, a man who said, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. 